Rockstars. Welcome to the Online Marketing Rockstars podcast. This is the English edition. For the fourth time, we have an English edition, and that's every time we have an English-speaking or American guest, we put out an English um, edition. Uh, the first three guests were Russell Glass, who runs all of advertising at LinkedIn. Um, we had Ben Barocas, who is the founder of AdMelt, now Google, and um, SourcePoint, and Gary Vaynerchuk, founder of uh, VaynerMedia. And today we have Brian Morrissey, Editor-in-Chief of Digiday. Also, I'd like to tell you about our online marketing Rockstars Festival. On March 2nd and 3rd, we host one of the largest digital advertising conferences and exhibitions in the world. Um, certainly one of the largest in Europe with 25,000 attendees here in Hamburg. Um, we have um, 250 uh, companies that present themselves. We have um, over 200 speakers and we have um, 20 speakers on our big stage, on our big conference stage. That includes speakers such as Gary Vaynerchuk, um, Brian Thompson, Casey Neistat, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Bruce Dickinson, uh, Philip von Boreas, Refinery29, Ben Lira, Lira Hippo Ventures, um, many, many more German, German stars, the, the founder of um, one of the uh, what German billion-dollar company, actually, who is uh, the global discount uh, voucher king, uh, Fabian Spielberger. He runs the largest uh, discount voucher business in the world, It's, uh, I guess. Um, it sounds like a very interesting program, I hope. I hope to see you here. If you'd like to find out more about online marketing rockstars or festival or exhibition or conference, everything else that we do, please check out onlinemarketingrockstars.com. Everything we do is right there at your fingertips. I have the pleasure to sit together with a guy that I uh, listen to a lot, but usually I can't ask him questions because I'm listening to his podcast. Today, I can ask him questions because he's on my podcast. Our guest today is Brian Morrissey, editor-in-chief of DigiDay, um, the US and UK media and marketing portal. Is that correct? Yes, that's very correct. And <laughs> Japan, Japanese too. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> To me, you are one of uh, the most interesting observers of the American marketing and, and media scene. Um, and I, I learned a lot from, from listening to you and your guests. Uh, maybe just start with, let's start out with some uh, predictions. And a prediction that I, that I found on your podcast is you very much believe in paid content. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, advertising um, supported media right now is going through a very difficult time because a lot of people are starting to have doubts on the, pro the entire promise of it. Like, I, um, you know, we're in this big shift from the analog to the digital media era, and sometimes we forget that we're still in this shift and publishers are still reorienting their businesses. And when they started to make this shift, they were told that all content should be free and it should be supported by advertising. Now, the people that were telling publishers this happened to be people in Silicon Valley where it was to their interest. And now 20 years on, a lot of publishers are looking, and the only people who have gotten rich are Google and Facebook. Publishers haven't. They're not seeing the money. So I think that for publishers to get back control of their strategies and their businesses from Facebook and Google, they have to have direct um, relationships with their audience, including having their audience pay them. And who does that correct? I mean, who is like a, or can you name a few companies that you think? Like are on the right path, or maybe like uh, are worth watching from a. Well, I mean, look at what the New York Times is doing. I mean, I, I, they just came out 
I think, yesterday with the uh, Times 2020 report. And this is the companion to their, um, their innovation report, which basically said we are really falling behind in digital. And so this is looking at the progress that have made and that they have to continue making. It's a very big report. But one of the big things in there is that the New York Times has shifted its business from a business that relied on advertising to increasingly a business that is driven by its subscribers. And um, advertising is now a secondary role at the New York Times. So I think that is like a good example. And we're going to see this across all sorts of um, businesses where starting to reorient from being overly reliant on advertising. I think one of the sort of stories of this year has been how publishers have been, have their portfolios, both their audience development portfolios and their um, revenue portfolios kind of got out of whack. You know, it's like, it's like if your investment portfolio had just high growth stocks, it looks good when the stock market is going up, but when the stock market suddenly isn't going up, you start to be like, hmm, maybe I should be in bonds too, because bonds are more, um, reliable. And I think that's what we're seeing because um, subscriptions are a much more reliable um, uh, revenue base rather than an ad market that goes up and goes down and is often often at the whims of Google and Facebook. Um, and then you, what are, what are the long term is then the content strategy of Google and Facebook? Do you think that publishers will like go away or like is that, is that whole... Um, Uh, I mean, do they have to pay at some point for content? I mean, to show content on their platforms? I think eventually they're going to have to be make direct payments to publishers for content. I think it's going to move towards that, and I think publishers now want to move towards that. I think you saw that with Snapchat. Um, Snapchat, I think, is an interesting case because they're not yet the size of a Google or Facebook, but they have um, a lot of sway with publishers who are interested in it. And they don't have a legacy. You know, like Facebook, for all of its like newness, is not super young anymore. So I think what we're seeing is where Facebook was very ad-driven, Snapchat is looking to see how can we, how can we cut deals with, um, with uh, publishers in which we just pay them And then we can keep all the upside on the advertising. And for a lot of publishers, they're saying, hey, fine. As long as the check is big enough, like, great. We, we're very happy with not being um, dependent on ads. And talking, of, uh, talking about Snapchat, do you think that Snapchat is, is, is actually going to play a role in the future uh, platform media world? Or is I think it is. I think, it's, I think it is the biggest hope for a real number three consumer platform um, and an independent one. I mean, thank God Facebook didn't buy it <laughs> because I think everyone is, a lot of people in media, a lot of people in agencies really wants Snapchat to succeed. Um, 
so despite all the copying, Instagram copying all the features and, and, and the bigger size that Instagram has. Yeah, they have a, I mean, as a business, they have a major challenge with, with Instagram um, copying them and stuff like this because they'll just do innovations and then I, I, say face, I say Facebook is the new Microsoft because they, you know, Microsoft's strategy was always uh, let others innovate and then we'll just follow, we'll take the best. Um, and a lot of people derided uh, uh, Microsoft for that strategy, but it's actually a pretty good strategy when you become a very large company. And sometimes I think people um, underappreciate how large and consequentially bureaucratic Facebook has gotten. Like Facebook is a very big company stuffed with middle managers who have competing interests. That's why I find it funny when you know, people think there's like a grand plan at Facebook. There's a bunch of competing interests within Facebook. So there's no, the people on the advertising team do not share the same interests as the people on the publishing team at Facebook. Um, so I, I think, I think that's an interesting thing to watch. Um, and I mean, but just to, to do, to just finish up on that, yeah. there's, there's analysts in the US and, and I mean, Uh, we had on Scott Galloway from the U.S. on stage last year, and I follow him a little bit, and he clearly says Snapchat is not going to even come through to the IPO. It, not even the IPO is going to happen because uh, Instagram is hurting them so badly today already. And, and, and if he publishes something on Snapchat and then something on, on Instagram and, and the same product, uh, the response and the engagement is so much higher on Instagram. So you don't see that. You, you're, you're still positive. I mean, I'm still positive on um, on Snapchat. I mean, I would bet that their IPO is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, and then uh, one other company that that I observe a lot that I try to get inspired by is, is Vice Media mm. um, or Vice. And uh, I know that there's been people on your podcast that said that it's it's a big big question mark on how that why that works because i mean they have very little reach but yeah. they i this is it's the the vice question is 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 fascinating to me because this is we're coming out of a time where we had a lot of people who had gigantic audiences and tiny businesses you know like you know buzzfeed even like their business is tiny business insider like their business is tiny compared to their audience. Um, now you can look at it and say, wow, there's so much, obviously Axel Springer looked at it and said, wow, there's so much opportunity here. Look at how big this audience is and they're barely monetizing it. Or you can be like, holy shit, maybe that's not a good business. <laughs> and um, I think Vice is interesting because it's always been the total opposite. It has a very small audience. Um, it's digital numbers. Now finally people are are waking up to the fact that they're completely made up um, because they roll up a bunch of viral sites as um, as vice media, but they're using a trick in Comscore called traffic assignment, where you know Vice can pay someone to give their Comscore credit to Vice, okay. even though they're not operating these sites. It happens so. on the German market as well. Yeah. Oh, really? I'm familiar with that trick. Yeah. It's, it's so, I mean, I think it's sketchy. Yeah, it, um, it is. I mean, in, in, in the German market, nobody knows that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's happening. And, and, you know, look, gullible media planners, you know, the media, the, the media buying industry is so screwed up that, you know, they cycle through 24-year-olds enough that these kind of tricks uh, um, work. But, um, 
you know, Vice has always monetized extremely well. Um, they've always been very good at getting brands to pay them a lot of money based on a cool factor, based on, I don't know, Shane Smith getting drunk with the CMO at Cannes or something. Whatever it is, I don't know if it scales, but it's very effective. Now, to me, it's the opposite question. How long can that last? How long can you have a media company that doesn't have a very large audience um, command these kind of um, big-priced ad deals? They've made a move in the TV that hasn't worked. Nobody watches. Mm-mm. It's the same problem mm-hmm. again. Like It's kind of amazing that they've pulled it off to this degree is that that they've built a very large business on the base on the basis of a very small audience um, and they still haven't figured out the audience piece um, and then uh, you just mentioned it I mean uh, business insider is of special German interest now that Axel Springer bought it um, and I mean I'm, I'm on to start to call it the German side Business Insider, <laughs> German aggregation site. <laughs> um, what, what's the perception of that deal in the U.S.? Or what's the perception maybe of, of Axel Springer's strategy in the U.S.? Um, you know, Axel Springer uh, gets a lot of attention because, um, you know, usually it's American companies coming to Europe, let's face it, rather than the opposite way. I mean, for a bunch of reasons, I mean, American companies typically are are more well capitalized because they're VC markets and, and, and also um, it's just it's harder to break into uh, the US market because it's so it's big but it's very deep. I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of competition in the US. Um, and uh, I think Axel Springer has been interesting in, in, in media circles because it's, it's, it's one of the few European media companies that has been aggressive. Um, for I guess for a variety of reasons, it's got it's got a bunch of it's got a bunch of cash, right? Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, the Business Insider deal itself, I think, um, uh, raised some eyebrows um, because again, they hadn't built the business to match the audience. They proved that they could um, cobble together a fairly large audience. Um, you know, not. Not, not to everyone's liking by, you know, using, you know, crummy headlines and doing a lot of aggregation, um, but with some, with some really solid, uh, good work. But, you know, the basis of it was, was that. Um, and I don't know if, if, if Business Insider is, I don't know if they're poised to make this leap into a, from an era where it was all about building a, a really big audience, often through through Facebook and through platform distribution, and then monetizing that audience through display advertising. This was a display advertising business until like a year ago. I, I mean, nobody in their right mind, I don't think, would invest or buy uh, at a premium a media business that is a display advertising business in 2017. <laughs> that, 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 that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, interesting because, I mean... that Maybe an insane person would. <laughs> so, I mean, when saying that, you're also saying display advertising has seen its best days? Is that... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly a... It's clearly a product in... What are the analysts call it? Like, secular decline. Um, 
you know, and, and those kind of things are fine. You just manage their decline and try to milk, milk money off of it. I mean, the display advertising business has been completely and irrevocably commoditized. Uh, nothing is, is going to change that. There was this sort of period in the, the mid 2000s or late 2000s where there was this idea that display advertising, like, if only it was done, it could be done better. And like, you know, it was going to be innovated with these new units and stuff like this. And, and then everyone shifted to mobile. And, um, I think it's, it's kind of over. Google and Facebook own that market. And so, so you, so your outlook for all these rocket fuel companies, App Nexus companies, uh, whatever you, you, you name them. I mean, there's yeah. Pubmatic and so many different players that try to, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's getting, getting very tough for them. Yeah. I mean, look what Rubicon project, um, uh, just put themselves up for sale. Um, a couple of, I think a couple of days ago. Um, I think every single, every company that is reliant on display advertising still, particularly desktop display advertising, um, is kind of screwed if they haven't already transitioned their business. Um, so it's uh, the publishers as well as the middlemen or the technology companies around that. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's what's is there a way out for these middlemen for all? The, I mean, you know the Lumascape, uh, uh, and there's so many middlemen Nobody companies. Knows. I don't think Terry knows the Lumascape. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. I mean the. the, the This, this one famous chart where all yes, these yes. advertising technology companies are on. Is there a way out for all these advertising technology companies? Um, yeah, look, I think everyone has been waiting for the ad tech shakeout, and it's, it's, it's slowly been happening, you know? Like, it's not like an all-at-once you know, all thing. It's like a drip, drip, drip. Um, you know, we saw, like, audience science is cutting back. That just came this week, you know. Rubicon already went through this. Pubmatic already went through it. You're seeing, you're seeing deals where the VCs make no money. Um, I mean, clearly the market needs to consolidate because they're fighting over, they're fighting each other when Google and Facebook won. Like Google and Facebook have already won. Uh, I think Fred Wilson had a blog post recently that like, there's there there that he would never fund like an advertising business now because it's it's google and facebook's game does that mean that there is not ways to make money in ad tech of course there is it's an optimism like when you're in like an industry that's in or a product that's in secular decline it's about trying to you know squeeze more money out of it you know get more efficient and and that's sort of where the opportunity is it's not very inspiring <laughs> <laughs> okay so but i mean that said your outlook for for ad tech is 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 kind of bleak your outlook um, for 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 banners and it's january uh, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is a depressing time uh, let, let's let's then shift over to agencies i mean what's, oh, what's god your, uh, it's getting worse <laughs> it's getting worse i mean we have we have Gary Vaynerchuk on stage in march and i mean he fund, founded what is maybe one of the fastest growing yeah, agencies is. in the world ever. I mean, he has like 800 people or something now. Yeah, um, How do you do that? They don't even have like places for them to sit. They're like sitting in like hallways and stuff like this. Is it happening all because he's Gary Vaynerchuk or is that happening because they, I don't know, what, what did he find? I think um, I, I, I won't speak to why Gary um, succeeded. I'm sure a lot of it is around the cult of his personality. Um, But I think he did recognize in the market that um, 
there is a market for a lot of tactical support from marketers um, that they're not going to pay a lot of money for. And big agencies are not structured to handle that kind of stuff. It's not glamorous. It's not going to New Zealand to shoot, um, you know, an epic film. You know, you know, you know, an advertising agency is ripping off its client when it's calling its video a film. That's always <laughs> a good tell. But um, instead, it's like doing things like, you know, making sure, making sure that like racist comments on your f brand Facebook page are deleted immediately. I mean, this is not high-level stuff, but it requires uh, a bunch of um, young, poorly paid people to do. And that's what VaynerMedia <laughs> does. Among other you things. said that. You I, said I don't know. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just asking questions here. <laughs> I mean, look, my understanding is, you know, there's always there's going to be people like, you know, at the top, you know, who supposedly are doing like creative strategy and stuff like this. But the bread and butter of agencies are young, poorly paid. People. Oh, it's always been the case like that. Yeah. I mean, it's never, never changed, right? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's more, it's more in focus now because, you know, margins are, are being compressed so much by clients, which is one of the things, like, I think if you, if we were to, like, go down, like, a list of all of the bad parts of the media world, we would very quickly, there's, like, what, six degrees of Kevin Bacon? There's, like, two degrees of the client is the fault. The marketers are at fault for most of the ills of digital media. Where would you put your money today? I mean, if you were, if you were a CMO of like a major brand, what would, I mean, would you go to TV then or where would you spend your money? Then? Would you spend it with Facebook or buy some AdWords? <laughs> I mean, obviously it depends on the product. And, it and, does. It depends on the strategy. It depends on like, I don't know where I would, Put my money. Do you believe in influencers and all these influencing things? Oh, that's another bubble that's ready to burst. I'm very negative all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, what know, is this? I don't know. We're maybe in Germany. I've had a, you know, we had a. It's, it's a sunny we had, day. It's, it's, it's I, a, we had Wiener Schnitzel last night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> a few beers. Yeah. It was lovely. All, all of a sudden, yeah, it? yeah, it was, it was a great, great night. I mean, maybe I it's the jet lag. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think you know, influencers are another one of those things where. Um, I think media has always been a lot of like smoke and mirrors, right? And, you know, digital has kind of um, you know, brought a little bit more rigor to it. There's a little bit more accountability, but a lot of it is still kind of, it's kind of bullshit. It's kind of, it's kind of made up, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I see companies actually successfully building on influencers. I mean, there's these brands that have basically... Uh, right, right. But it's desperation, right? I mean, so like the the... the I always think that there used to be a... I've been covering this stuff for like 15 years, even longer, probably 17 years. And for a long time, what I did basically was, tr was trying to explain to marketers why they were so far behind consumers, right? Now I almost feel like marketers, they all have FOMO. They all have fear of missing out. And they're almost ahead of where they should be. So they're always looking for like the next thing that's going to solve their their marketing. That's because your side and our side tells them to do that. I mean, ah. we're like the hype machines. I, I mean, we tell them, look, there's this opportunity on Snapchat, exactly. there's opportunity on that, and then they could go back home and feel like they have to do that. Yeah, um, that's actually a great business model of a lot of people. 
that sort of ties back into the to VaynerMedia. This is a tried and true business model of a really good salesperson um, who goes and scares clients, or you know, uh, uh, that they're falling behind, and then um, sells them the sort of vision of of how they can, you know, it's like, oh my God, I don't know what Musically is. <laughs> but I have to put some money there. <laughs> yeah, I got to pay. I think influencers are the same, are the same thing. I mean, we've done a bunch of like confessions around it, where we give people anonymity in exchange for honesty, and the influencer ones are always very eye-opening um, because there's so much, there's such a lack of transparency in that world um, that that's really interesting. Okay, so you so you think that that influencing is not going to be a topic in in the next years? Oh, I think it's going to be a topic. I just think that there is a bit of a bubble, like a lot of money. Anytime a lot of money sort of goes in, I mean, it's like relative, but you know, a fair chunk of money went into this. You know, there's a lot of there, there's always a lot of you know mouths at the trough. Then, so I think a lot of these influencer marketing campaigns. Don't map back to to real business objectives, um, and they're getting expensive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have some prizes in mind that are paid in the U.S.? I forget. I forget what. Um, I forget what uh, we've reported on the prices of some of this stuff. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I know from our from our marketing team, um, our, the people who cover marketing, um, that you know they say that their sources are always, are telling them that the prices demanded by these influencers are like getting out of control okay oh, we, we've seen that i mean it happened like remember the mommy bloggers yeah you know they they all of a sudden became like you know this powerful force and then they kind of receded what, what's the success story or what's a what's a business model that came up recently that you truly believe in in the, in the media and marketing <laughs> universe i mean is there something that you say oh, I, i haven't seen that before but that seems like a thing that could play out Okay, I wouldn't say that we had talked about this, so we can argue or argue over it. I wouldn't say that it's new because I, I I do like what some people are doing with subscription models in a, in a very crowded category where you would say there's already too much of it. Like that is not a good idea. Like where there's an oversupply, um, the idea that you, that's free. Why would you be able to come in and and um, and charge for it? And they focus relentlessly on quality, and they've broken a ton of stories. And you know they're building an interesting business. I think whether it becomes large or not, I don't know. But I think that a lot of publishers can look at it and learn some from it. The information that's yeah the, okay and then is it a I mean it's, it's a similar case with uh, the the new company that the political uh, yeah the Axios company that's still like to be seen I'm always very wary of companies that launch and make a big deal about themselves before they've even done anything like I don't to me I guess maybe um, that strikes me as sort of weird. Um, like, you, like people who are like they keep talking about oh, we're going to do stuff people haven't done before and stuff. I kind of prefer people to just like, why don't you do it and then talk about it later, or 
maybe not even let other people talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it helps with recruiting and stuff like this, but, um, uh, and maybe investors like that kind of stuff. Like they want, they want to feel good about like the fact that they gave someone a bunch of money and now like, you know, they're out everywhere talking about it. And, and anything else besides the information? I mean, do you agree with Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always, um, I mean, it used to be like... You're building an interesting business. You're not going around like talking about it all the time, right? Um, I talk about it a lot because I have to. I, well, I, yes, I, because you're building the business, but not like, oh my God, Philip is so great because he's, he's I, I, in Hamburg I, I, building a really interesting I, I, I try and, not to and sizable business. I, I try not to self-promote too much. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I, I also see like that how it works for for guys like Gary and everything. I mean, they, I mean, I, I watch like what a Tim Ferriss does. What, what do you think of a of a Tim Ferriss story? I mean, he's, he's like extremely successful with all that thing. Yeah, I don't get it. I I don't know. Like maybe it's just because of my personality. Like it would seem exhausting to be. I mean, I guess that's why Gary is who he is, and Tim Ferriss is who um, he is, is because. Um, I would never want to do that. <laughs> would you? It would seem exhausting to be on all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but Gary I mean, is on all the time. He is always on. I mean, but I mean, for him, it's probably like the way he's, uh, his, his, he works. I mean, he gets a lot of feedback, and that's what he feeds off. And then he, I don't know, he says it. He, he said it on our podcast that he's uh, his narcissistic self. Is uh, is uh, enjoying all this feedback and all these selfies and all these things, and maybe mm-hmm. it works for him. I mean, then good thing for him, he can make money with that. Huh? Yeah, I will say this, it, it, Gary. It, it is. I don't. I don't think it's an act. I will yeah. um, say that, like, just over the years, he's like done. Like, you know, I'm probably you know like one of like you know. 19,000 people have somehow like entered into his like orbit briefly over the last like several years. And like, he, he would like periodically drop me a note, like how, how's it going B? How are things? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> like, why are you? But I'm like, and what I end up thinking, I'm like, is he doing that for the other 19,000? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I, I find him at least, uh, I mean... So if you come I, to I online could... marketing rock stars, you'll get to meet Gary Vaynerchuk, and every few years he'll check in with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I, I mean, what I have to say about him is, I, I, I mean, I, I can't follow everything he does, because he puts out a podcast every day, now he puts out a, a photo every couple of hours. I, I can't follow everything, but uh, I, as you said, I find um, he's not... Um, he's not uh, Trying to be somebody else, he's he's who he is, and he just plays his game. And now he's, he's, he's so, he calls it social social documentation. And I mean, there, there's millions of people that like to see that. I mean, and, and he understands. I mean, he's he's completely aware of the rules. I mean, he's leaving his kids out, his wife out. He's just doing that for his and for his business side of his life. And I mean, he it deserves. A, I think it deserves respect because there's so many other people that would like to do that that have the same narcissistic right. side and that, that dream of of being Gary Vaynerchuk, right. but they can't because he's so good and and they can't be. But there. I think the key that what's what's admirable there is that it's not just self promotion. Like he's actually building a business. Yeah. 
it's not like his business is the self self-promotion is not the business. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's that's true. Unless yeah. it's a side business. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, the, the the line of self-promotion and marketing and all these online marketing guys yeah. is so blurry these days. I mean, you you have yeah. a hard time. But how many people are are out there? You know with their sort of charismatic social media presences and stuff like this, where that's all there is. Like they're lecturing people about businesses, but they don't even exactly, like, exactly. Have and that's, that's, doing and Gary is real. I mean, he has business. He, right. he made money, right? I mean, yeah. serious money. Yeah. Uh, Assuming, uh, supposedly, but um, much more some than, good investments that will uh, pay uh, off. That's for sure. Uh, who else is out there? I mean, who else is in that space? Who else do you do you do you do you notice uh, like uh, in this in the marketing and self promoting uh, self promotion? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because I don't um, I don't have as much exposure to it anymore. You know, mostly just because. Um, You know, our own business, it, it, it takes a lot of time and energy and focus and stuff like this. So I find increasingly, and I've tried to do this in 2017, I'm trying to tune out a lot more things. Like, you know, we've got a, we've got a good team and stuff like this and they're out. Like, I don't go to CES. I would never, I don't think I'll ever set foot in South by Southwest anymore and stuff like this. Mostly just because, you know. You've seen it all. Yeah, but tr I think it's just like, well, part of it is, I think you get really jaded, as maybe this the previous half hour has shown. <laughs> I hope I'm not. I'm actually I'm actually fairly cheery in person. I think, um, but um, I think it helps to have like fresh eyes in this thing because you can start to you can start to get like just reflexively negative on things. And um, so I like our our sort of um, younger people to be exposed to this stuff more. But it also gives me a chance to um, really just focus internally and on our own business and our own like company and stuff. Because I think um, sometimes you get too focused on like what's going on in the environment, and you lose sight of of the um, you know inside your own organization and company and stuff. So I would like to you know I want to spend less time on Twitter and more time like having like coffee with people who work for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's like sort of my social goal. Uh, one other thing that, that's going on in the, in, in the U.S. these days and that in my mind is, is at least uh, a little bit related to digital marketing is uh, the new president-elect who is uh, at, at least uh, he's very successful in digital marketing. Is that correct? <laughs> this is like very polite of you to say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very... Um... <laughs> very respectful of our new our soon-to-be new president. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you talk about, um, you know, brand challenges, America's going to have a brand challenge for uh, well, hopefully four years, maybe eight years, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think Trump is not necessarily a marketing phenomenon. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a larger issue that we're seeing across a bunch of societies that are grappling with modernization, basically. You know, people see their economies changing, they see their societies changing, and there's a societal chunk of people who don't like that. There's a group of people in Germany who don't like, you know, people wearing a headscarf down, you know, the street or something, and there's a group of people in America who feel the same way. And there's also a group of people who just don't, who feel sort of disconnected, I think, with how the economy is evolving. I mean, it's benefited... Um, a large group of people uh, tremendously 
but it's created a lot of losers. And I think that um, Trump's been able to tap in to this discontent with how things are evolving. And they're all different things. Like, and everyone wants to like pin it on one thing. It's not like all the people who voted for Donald Trump are racist. Um, some are. Um, but some are, you know, people who understandably have seen their livelihoods completely changed from underneath them. Um, while a large group have been telling them, well, you should just sort of retrain yourself as a nurse instead of, <laughs> you know, you know, since the paper factory closed down and, you know, these guys are like, no, I don't want to be a nurse. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think Trump was, uh, he was very good at identifying that where a lot of people missed. And I think the sort of marketing part of it was a little bit secondary. Um, but he's, he obviously knows how to market and how to manipulate, um, a, a media system that is in many ways, um, broken. Have, have you followed the, The story about this Cambridge Analytica company that supposedly uh, yeah. like had this very advanced targeting. Do you ever notice how it's always after elections, like whoever wins suddenly had this great like data operation? I mean, he won like it was such a fluke that he won, like a complete fluke. And so afterwards, people are trying to like you know identify like all these secrets to success and stuff like this. I don't think that there's an appreciable difference of the data capabilities or the polling capabilities of the Democrats and the Republicans. I always think it's in hindsight afterwards, the winners get a disproportionate amount of credit for their tactical choices and the losers get a disproportionate amount of blame. I mean, I would, I would bet if you look across the U.S. marketing events the next couple of months, there will be a lot of sure. people that have supported Trump and be able to be uh, telling their story and be invited yeah, to their story. Like and nobody Clinton. from the, from the, from the Clinton no, team no, will no. be presenting they're, how I They're did. taking that off their LinkedIn's. Um, the, I, I mean, I remember when Obama won, you know, all of a sudden blue state digital was like, you know, this miraculous, you know, thing that, you know, Obama used this thing called social media in order to, um, to, to triumph. Um, When in fact Obama triumphed because he's a once in a generation politician, like no, no offense to Blue State Digital, but <laughs> I think Trump happened to be it was like a perfect storm. I mean, but I mean, there, there was an article on a in a Swiss magazine, and it uh, it got so much attention in the German digital and marketing industry. Everybody I know read this article um, about how like uh, this this. British uh, company with uh, like some advanced metrics and, and, and software helped uh, Donald Trump target the right people and, and, and tell the right messages and is able to like, I don't know, d detect by five or six likes or seven or eight likes on Facebook what that person, who that person is and who he would vote for and if it makes sense to, to target him with ads or not. And it, it got a lot of attention. And like, I think it got a lot of attention, but I think I, my suspicion is that a lot of this stuff gets attention and undue amount of credence because everyone, not everyone, a large group of us is very confused how this could happen. <laughs> and we want, to, we want to find some rational explanation to, or a series of rational explanations 
for something inexplicable that happened that simply is not in our conception of reality. And so if we can find a bunch of rational explanations relating to to data, demographic changes, and all these sort of things, that will help us sort of come to terms with what was just a completely inexplicable event. Um, what you could say, I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, excited very, very analytical. For, very excited for uh, the, the next four years. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's your take on, what's your perception on, on um, the one thing that, that Germany is market leading in, in digital marketing? You know what that is? You know what? Which company that is really disrupting the marketing industry is is is, is German? No. You don't? No. I mean, it's it's probably not. It's not Facebook relevant, but it's really relevant in the U.S. and globally, and it's a German company. They're called IO, um, and they do AdBlock oh, Plus. Oh yes, of course. Um, what's their reputation here? Um, very mixed. I mean, obviously, millions of people like what they do and use the product yeah. and block uh, advertising. The publishers uh, don't like it, and, and many of the middlemen um, that have to pay to, yeah. to get their, their ads like uh, whitelisted, they don't like that. Uh, but Consumers I mean, the, the model is, is successful in the end. Yeah, to me, it, what's more interesting than ad blocking is is the reasons driving it. And I think the reasons, you know, to go back to one of our earlier co parts of the conversation is publishers have lost control over their businesses in some ways. They've lost control of their strategy. They've lost control of their monetization. They're forced right now, forced, but they choose to. They're forced by the system in order to make money, they have to do things that are not in the interests of their audience. And that's why I'm interested in models like the informations and moving to subscriptions. Because it's really hard to operate a business where you have to every day make choices that you know are not in the interests of the person who's consuming your product. And as long as you decouple the way you make money from the product that you're you're making you're you're trying to serve two constituencies and it's, and it's it's really hard um it's doable but it's hard and so so what does it mean for adblock adblock is that a company that's going to I don't know, be there for be around for a while or is, is it is that... I don't know if that that company will be around i i assume that you know it's it's going to become like a chronic condition It's kind of like, um, you know, DVRs, you know, when TiVo came on, I remember people were saying, oh, it's going to kill, it's going to kill TV advertising. TV advertising is still with us. DVRs are still with us. Um, I think that there'll be, you know, publishers, look, a lot of the stuff is blocking, at least in the U.S., a lot, most of this is blocking desktop display. And, and that's that anyways. Yeah. So it's like, okay, Who cares? they're solving like for a... Uh, a declining um, asset, so so maybe then Adblock Plus is also suffering from from the display advertising problems. Well, they have there. to move to mobile. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, that's you talk about like all these you know businesses that are challenged because they're focusing on sort of um, you know yesterday's news with desktop and display. I mean, they're kind of the same way, unless that unless they can start to get real uptake in. Um, on mobile, 
And then their problem is most of the consumption time is happening in apps. Um, so I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> so to, to end this podcast on a, on a, on a positive note, um, I mean, you mentioned the information as a company that you are hopeful for, that you're, that you're uh, looking with a positive interest. Yeah. Um, um, to be fair, mostly because we, are, we have our own um, subscription program rolling out that we've rolled out so i'm very interested in it because i want us to figure this out too i want us to i think that direct payments are going to be an important part of our model um and is there any like classic media or advertising company that you think is, is doing a good job i mean they all are challenged the, the world is changing and they all are getting disrupted here or there but is there like a management team or a company that you think is, is like a bigger company that you think is, 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 is doing a good job and like is it, can be an inspiration to, to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that um, there's parts of what a lot of people are doing that I like. I mean, I'll just like cite one. Like, I'm impressed by how The Atlantic is like changing its business. I'm impressed by what they're trying to do with Quartz. I don't know if it will... It will end up working in the long run if they're building like, you know, a lasting hundred year brand with Quartz. But I think the fact that they have um, leaned against a lot of this commoditization with custom ads and um, with, I think, for the internet, a high enough um, commitment to quality, I think, is, is reassuring. And I think it's reassuring that. It, it came out of a, a very old um, legacy media company. I think what there's stuff going on at, at Bloomberg that I think is, is fascinating and really interesting. I think Justin Smith is one of the smarter guys in media, um, uh, the CEO of Bloomberg Media. Um, but then again, it's very nice when you have a terminal business that uh, pays the bills. Um, oh. I wish I had. I wish we had a terminal, <laughs> Digiday terminal. <laughs> Pay us fifty thousand dollars a year, you get a box <laughs> and a monitor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, thanks for sharing all that. Even though some of your <laughs> observations are, 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 are critical, or uh, at least um, yeah. Skeptical on, on some of the skeptical. Let's go skeptical. Skeptical on, on some of the developments that, that we see in the industry. Um, but I mean, it's, it's good for us. I mean, since we are the rock star brand and we'd like to see stuff positive to have, to hear a voice of, of, of caution and of, <laughs> and of an adult voice of, of doubt here and there. So thank you for sharing and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Phil. Buzz.